Welcome to this episode of Shoulder to Shoulder, where we strive to grow in love of the Lord and each other. I'm Pam Marvin. I'm Megan Silas. So good to see you, Megan. Good to be back. It's always a pleasure to be sitting across the table from you when we come together on days like this. Like I always say, yeah, it's like a retreat day for me. It really blesses me. So thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. We were just actually talking beforehand about how much chit-chatting happens off the microphone. You know, we should just maybe sometime record that and then we could just get shows that we don't have to conscientiously record (laughs) and just have our conversations because we do like to talk, don't we? Yes, that's why we have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But it's fun. And and we are today continuing our series on the theological virtues. Last time um, we talked about faith. Now, fortunately, you don't have to listen to them in order necessarily. So you can... uh, just hang on with this one if you haven't already listened to the faith one, but we would encourage you to go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. Uh, but we're excited to talk about the virtue of hope today. So excited. But, I'm so filled with hope. I want to share it. <laughs> Good for you. But first, yeah, I wanted to talk about a little bit of a hope realized. Yeah. You know, so nice. I had this beautiful experience of finding out uh, that my son at his um, Catholic high school won an award for theology. And so this award is actually a new award that they have just implemented at his school where it takes into account both um, academic excellence in the area of theology, as well as living the theology in their lives. Gave me all the feels. And so like for me, you know, you'd want to pour your faith into your children. You want to hope that you're being a good example and that they're grasping it for themselves and everything. But the reality is my son's 15 and he's not really sharing a lot with me about what he's up to as far as his school life. And he's not at all the type of guy who's looking to brag on himself or anything no. or hey, say, Hey mom, you know, look what I did today. Cause you know, he totally knows that if he does something that's good and holy, I'm going to be all over him with the the uh, accolades, yeah, yeah, the attaboys. <laughs> the, and so he, he keeps things pretty quiet on that front. And so interestingly, I even found out about it in sort of a roundabout way because the day that he had won the award, um, my husband picked him up from school. So apparently he told my husband about it in the car. And now we see where my son might be getting some of his lack of loquaciousness because (laughs) my husband didn't feel that this was something he was going to share with me either. So it was literally not the next day uh, after he had won it. So I didn't find out about it on the day of. The next day at dinner, somehow the topic of the fact that school awards had been the previous day. And I said, hey, Robbie, do you, you know, you win anything? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I won a theology award. I'm like, what? What? Yeah, tell yeah. me about it. He's like, oh yeah, new award. La, 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 la. I'm like, and you didn't think to tell me this yesterday? Yeah. He's like, well, you know. Unlike, <laughs> unlike my daughter who was actually, we we're all kind of a little bit, had no idea it was coming, but she texted me the other day, a picture of her. Congratulations. You're graduating magna cum laude. Oh, yeah. Hey. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah. So I think the moral of this story is that just because you don't know about something going on in the lives of your loved ones or, you know, and there's still hope that maybe there's some really good, beautiful things going on in the way that they're embracing their faith and living their faith. 
even if you don't get to hear about it all the time. So have hope. That's right. That usually happens in a family for sure. Especially with boys. But you know what? Oh, for sure. It's, I was saying, I was marking the contrast between your son and my daughter. She told me right away where you don't hear about it for a couple of days. That's yeah. so typical of the nature. Honestly, if I had not asked him about, yep. did you win anything? I don't think I would have found out at all. Yeah, probably so. But I'm not going to, uh, you know, complain. I'm just no, happy to have, so have a good boy who loves the Lord and is trying to live it. So, yeah. Well, again, we're going to be talking about the supernatural (laughs) theological (laughs) virtue of hope today. But uh, one of the things that's really um, kind of timely, which is really the opposite of hope, and that is another reason why we think this is such a, um, a timely topic to talk about. Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading some articles recently that talked about the fact that they've been taking a look at something that they term deaths of despair. Now that sounds just as bad as it is. And what it takes into account are deaths that occur due to suicide or also other evidences of despair. So alcoholism, drug addiction, these sort of things like deaths that occur because somebody is living a life that seems to really have lost hope in goodness and, you know, thinking that the world can get better or their lives can get better and all this. And what they've found that there's been a significant increase um, in deaths resulting from despair. And this increase has really, really been evident in people who are college educated which is interesting. really interesting. And because normally you would think, hey, you know, the college educated people are the ones that have all the great um, opportunities in life. They're, they're the ones that are supposed to be going on to make the better salaries and, and all this sort of thing. Why are they the ones that seem to be struggling? Now, I have some theories about that. They haven't completely fleshed it out in science. So these things would be... Uh, my conjectures, but I have some theories. But before I give mine, do you have any theories on it? Not on that one. I was just going to mention another age group that is, you see it so much so, and that is the um, the more younger people, like just just sure. uh, older high school, just post high school, college age kids. That mm-hmm. suicide rate is also just really, really jumped up as well. So lots mm-hmm. of, lots of despair, lots of hopelessness. Right, exactly. And One of the thoughts that really has come to mind for me about why it's more likely to be more highly educated, more affluent individuals is you definitely see a significant correlation between the level of education at this point and the amount of faith. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of harkening back to that last episode, right? Yeah. Because hope in its nature really is tied to faith. Because what do you hope for? It's it's the faith in things unseen, right? Right. And so it really speaks to what I would consider almost a real crisis in the area of education, which maybe we'll just put a little pin on. And uh, talk about it another time on another podcast. I've had the 
at this point, I would call dubious honor <laughs> to have been educated at some very prestigious um, institutions. I went to um, private boarding school at a school called Phillips Exeter Academy in New Hampshire, which is widely considered to be one of the best boarding schools in the nation. I attended Princeton University um, for my undergraduate, and then I also um, had the blessing dubious again, of going to medical school. And having experienced all those very higher education um, environments, what I found very significantly was the level of deep secularism Mm. and a very strong indoctrination into the idea that maybe religion and intelligence really go together. What a farce. So, but you know what you're saying is you're hearing this in the mainstream, um, just culture these days about no God in schools, definitely taken yeah. out of the public schools. Absolutely. And now we're seeing more and more is not only is it really taken out of universities, but yet a more, as you would say, dubious atmosphere of individualism. I'm going to say right. um, absolute individualism, is taken over and that's a dark place to live. And certainly even within Catholic universities at this point, this idea that, you know, is what the church teaches really, you know, something that we can hold fast to, or is it even just hateful, you know, what the church teaches and what I've, what they have found consistently. If you look at psychological research on the topic of resiliency, so resiliency being this ability to weather storms in life and, and difficult circumstances. Faith is one of the major components of a resilient individual. Like faith, strong faith tends to be one of the top few things that help an individual be resilient. Another thing is strong, small community close knit community. And so you get then to that, again, that idea of individualism. So as it relates to the idea of hope, if you have nothing to believe beyond this life is all there is. Wow. And you've become completely isolated in this idea of, you know, no one's really there for me. It's every man for himself. Of course you're going to struggle. And the idea that there is something to live for. You know, I interject real real quickly here too, that um, in this despair time, um, I, I didn't know him personally, but had some friends that did a young man about 20 years old committed suicide recently. And and part of the main reason they knew was because of a deep loneliness. Mm -hmm. And I've long held that um, loneliness is really an absence of relationship with God. So someone would be a believer but that if you find yourself being lonely, the only person who can really satisfy that part is the Lord. Because, sure. I mean, we've yeah. all heard before, I can feel lonely in a crowded room. It's right. really true. Absolutely. But I believe that really starts with a deeper relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. For sure. But hope, let's talk about it, though. So as we did with the last um, theological virtue, I wanted to bring in the catechism and to really get a good definition of what we're talking about as it relates to hope as a theological virtue. So um, Catechism 1817 says, hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, 
placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. It also goes on to say in 1818, the virtue of hope responds to the aspiration to happiness, which God has placed in the heart of every man. It takes up the hopes that inspire men's activities and purifies them so as to order them to the kingdom of heaven. It keeps man from discouragement. It sustains him during times of abandonment. It opens up his heart in expectation of eternal beatitude. Buoyed by hope, he is preserved from selfishness and led to the happiness that flows from charity. We'll talk about charity next time. Okay. But I think there's so really good. there's kind of two elements to hope, actually. There's the idea or belief that there's something good in the future. That's the first part. You have to think that there's something good. And the reasonable expectation of attaining it. Mm, I never thought of that one. Reasonable expectation of attaining it. So it has to be the both and. Like you can't okay. have just the first one. Because honestly, if you think there's a great good out there that could be, it, could be, but that you have no chance of it, that leads you right to despair. Right. Because it almost, honestly, isn't that even worse to think that there's a good that's going to be withheld from you mm. as opposed to, well, there's just nothing, you know? So those two places of how do we come to this conviction that there is good that we can look forward to and that there is a reasonable expectation of obtaining it. Right. You know, I, I think about how my personal, let's say my personal relationship with hope. I mean, I, I've got kind of a story with it. <laughs> because, hope is a person. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say in general, um, as someone who has struggled with depression over the years, hope was a really rough thing for me because I I didn't experience, I, I didn't know how to capture it or gain it or hold on. I mean, like, what did it look like? What did it smell like? Kind of that, mm-hmm. you know, that intimate part of what hope is like. Um, and the place I always encountered it was adoration. Mm-hmm. I would feel it there. And I knew that Christ was a source of hope. I knew it, but I still couldn't articulate it till, till many years later. And part of that was um, the truth that he speaks. As we talked about right. in the last episode as well, that believe Jesus when he says what he says, all things work for good. Yeah. So much hope in that statement. And I do think that this point that the catechism makes where we have it, we place our trust in Christ's promises, like you said, relying not on our own strength. And it reminds me of a verse that is in Romans chapter five, verse five says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That has been given to us. Yes. Oh, let's talk about Holy Spirit for just a half a minute. Okay. Or more. Or more. (laughs) Gosh, what could we do without it? So with the Holy Spirit, one of the things I've come to really know over the last several years or or into it, I don't know. I probably read it somewhere. I didn't come up with it on my own. Is we have to, we have to increase our sensitivity to the movings of the Holy Spirit. No. What is that like? Well, my main recipe for that is increasing the sacraments in silence. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Adoration, great place. Mass, great place. Confessional, great place. Because when you're pouring yourself out in confession or you're giving yourself and having that communion with the Lord, both of those are times to have that more of an intimacy right. that you can hear and feel and, and, and listen to the Holy Spirit. And you've got to have that component to be receptive to hope. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's time to call for a temperature check. And the, the reason I came to that moment where I felt like I wanted to do a temperature check, because as you were talking about the Holy Spirit and we were thinking about hope, it reminded me of the story that I told about my reception of the gift of speaking in tongues. And the reason is, is because for a long period of time, I actually dwelled in a, a despairing place in the idea that God considered me worthy of such a gift. That God didn't yeah, beforehand. Like, yeah, like I was in this place where I didn't feel that I was worthy, that something was wrong with me. So I was in, the, in that, so we can think of hope or lack of hope as a, a global thing, but sometimes we experience a lack of hope in a specific circumstance. So in that particular place in my life, even though at this you know point, that I was kind of really vibrant in my Catholic faith and everything. There was still this despairing part in me. There was a hopeless part in me that felt that the Holy Spirit would never work in my life in such a profound demonstrable way. And it was only until I worked through the cause of that lack of hope that I was freed from what I would really call a demon of despair. I'm so glad you said it that way too, Megan, because as I'm reflecting on my own personal experience, it was, and I'll say kind of this um, melancholic spirit that was just really oppressing me um, and whispering in my ear, there's nothing good in this world. You know, this is all there is to it. You know, there's not going to be much. Your life is stinky. You know, just <laughs> just all your life is so stinky, uh-huh. um, which is a lie. But I think it takes time and practice and faith to start to kick those lies to the curb and recognize them as this dark spirit that tries to overtake us at times. Yeah, and I think it's a really good point to bring that the area of despair or stealing of hope or trying to make you feel that there is no hope is very much a tactic of the evil one. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I will say that if you if someone wants to go hear that story about uh, my experience of, you know, receiving the charismatic gift of the Holy Spirit of speaking in tongues, it's episode 73. So if you want to go back and listen to that, because I really do see it as um, a place of God dispelling uh, a spirit of hopelessness and coming in in a really profound way that restored hope that then unleashed a lot of other things in in my life and my ability to um, live in his goodness and in trust of him. And that's another point I want to bring to the concept of trust as it relates to hope. You can only really hope for the future good if you trust that God is good, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, I don't think we can say that enough. Megan, I really want to take a pause and reiterate that one point that if you are struggling with hope, start to focus on trusting in the Lord, his goodness and his word. Mm -hmm. That's it right there. That's a practical tip. And I'm going to bring a word because one of the most beautiful verses, I think, in scripture says from Lamentations. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, Lamentations. So things aren't going great if their people are lamenting, right? Mm-hmm. But Lamentations um, chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. That's where hope comes from that the mercy is new. It's always a new day. We're never to despair because he brings new life even when things seem the worst. Right, right. But I do want to bring in, you mentioned about, you know, relationships and and everything. This is so much this podcast about trying to grow in relationships. And I think hope is one place where we really need to look if we're struggling in a relationship, because something I have often seen in spiritual direction is that there are certain relationships where people simply think it's never going to get better. Ah, hopelessness. Right. Yeah. And oh, so it hurts me. They, you know, I find it particularly, it manifests itself in the spousal relationship and the parental relationship. Mm. That's where, just in my experience. When you say parental, are you meaning like your guidee to their parent or their guidee to a child? More often guidee to the parent. Okay. But sometimes guidee to the child. And usually the way it manifests itself in to, to the child is the parent wants so much to have a deep intimate relationship with the child and the child doesn't seem to want to receive that. What I find as it relates to an adult, to the parent is that the wounds that came about from childhood that continue to live themselves out in the adult zone. And this idea of like my mom or my dad is never going to change. They're going to always be like this and they're continually to hurt never, me. And always, how I can, da, da, da. Yeah. And so this idea that, If something doesn't look the way you want it to look, there's no good. Mm. That's where I find a lot of times, a lot of times despair comes into that because we have expectations that are unreasonable. And when we have unreasonable expectations, we're always going to be disappointed Mm -hmm. and constant repeated experiences of disappointment in relationship lead to hopelessness in the relationship. So how can we bring hope into circumstances that don't seem to be changing? Right. Well, I want to back that up just for half a hair and say that the two things that I hear as a thread through this is when people are experiencing despair or discouragement. Mm -hmm. Now, both of those, I will, I will heartily say (laughs) Are from the, are from an evil spirit, right? Mm-hmm. That's a darkness, a melancholic spirit that can set on you to to try and get you to buy some lies. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. So when you start to experience those, go, oh, hey, wait, that's not from God. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kick that to the curb. Whatever it is that, that triggers you, you know, my favorite one for the long time is like, get behind me, Satan. You know, <laughs> I was like, I, I, I'm not listening to like you Satan when you say that. <laughs> get behind me. <laughs> yeah. Another one was I, rem- I imagined, um, you know, you remember Passion of the Christ where mm-hmm. the, they had the, Ugh, in the, yeah. the, in the, in the garden yeah. and that little worm on the yeah, face and everything. Yeah, yeah. I imagined picking the worm off and flinging it. Uh, <laughs> I literally used to do that when I'd had these like, you know, these lies trying to to, sure. to, to register, yeah. but I was like, no, ain't having it. Okay, that's good to get rid of it. Okay, that's a lie that there's no hope. But then what do you do when things stay the same? I think that's a really important question to ask. How do you bring hope to a circumstance that seems to be unchanging? Okay, so we kind of are moving into in relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so... This is my two cents. This is Pam's worldview or my experience. My personal experience is in a relationship of things are rather stinky. I'm going to use that again. If they're not living up to the expectation you have about that relationship, the first thing to do is always examine yourself Mm -hmm. and your docility to the Holy Spirit. And to ask the Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this situation? Because you can only change yourself. You can't change that other person. So first, you need to be examining yourself. How can I learn and improve? Well, one of the things in my life was, well, look at that person with eyes of mercy. What does that mean? Okay, we are living out in our fallen nature. We are here, the concupiscence, everything we have, and we're battling it to the best of our abilities. And as much as Christ would give me, you know, some grace, let's say, when dealing with my own concupiscence, why shouldn't I be given that to the person I'm in conflict with? Mm-hmm. Like God didn't create them, you know, the way he originally created them. See that person, not the one who's living out in their concupiscence. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that breathes so much hope into a relationship because that's not for what they were made, and they may be that way longer, but you can only change your perception of them. Absolutely. I agree completely. And I think another thing that we can run into is sometimes we get too fixated on our human relationships, as wonderful and beautiful as they can be, and as ways that the God can use them to bring us closer to him. They're not the primary relationship and they're not the end goal of our existence. And so it brings back to mind the, the little um, phrase from the catechism that says um, it opens up his heart in expectation of eternal beatitude. So this perspective that we keep on what's my ultimate goal is my ultimate goal in life to have the best marriage possible Well, no, actually, that's not my ultimate goal in life. That is a goal to try to grow in holiness in my marital relationship or in my relationship with my parents. But the primary ultimate goal is eternal beatitude. And so when we use that perspective, and one of the things that I think is really interesting and not really discussed enough is the reality that even within heaven, there's a hierarchy. Yes. And there's mm-hmm. there's elements uh, there your closeness to 
the beatitude, the throne of God varies. Now, we focus on the fact that everybody in heaven is completely fulfilled, completely full. But we don't ponder enough how much capacity our vessel, the soul, has. And how the Lord can increase the capacity of that vessel to behold eternal beatitude mm. through the experiences of this life. So even if something in our relationship or even an external situation in life never gets better, it's always hard, it may be the very thing that is expanding your capacity to, in the future, behold the Lord more Amen. fully. And then, so then there's hope right. in that, that says, this isn't the end of the story. And what the Lord is doing in me through this very hard circumstance, maybe the thing that I most glorify him for when I see the fullness of beatitude. You know what I'm hearing in that word? What's that? Purification. Oh, for sure. Wouldn't we want to be purified now rather than later? Yes, we would. Many of the saints yeah. who know about souls in purgatory said there's no suffering on earth that even compares to the suffering of purgatory. So when you're living out a difficult situation on this planet, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you in reparation for my sin and the sin of the world. Yeah, there's definitely that element to decrease the potential purification necessary. But the thing I'm talking about is even beyond that, which is say, say you were really very, very pure already. Say you were, you know, one step from being like the most holy person on earth. And so you, the amount of purification that you need is, is almost insignificant. There's still good that difficulty can be brought in this idea that you can behold more of the love of the Lord one of the things I was just talking to um, a directee recently about how sometimes the Lord will break our hearts to increase its capacity. Absolutely. And that process may happen time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. And we may not see in this lifetime that effect of it, but it is the hope of the good that he is doing and the trust that he is good. That we That's can right. hold fast to this idea that even if I can't see it, even if I don't feel it, there's something that he's doing. Right. So you already are starting to, to touch on those practical tips that we want to leave our listeners with, which is hope is a form of trust in the Lord, that he is who he says he is, that he is good and for the life beyond. You know, I love the, the point in the memorari that says, after this, our exile, right? Mm -hmm. We have to remember this is an exile where we are being purified and reaching and striving for the Lord. Absolutely. And I also think, you know, kind of getting back to that topic that we started the show with of these increase in the deaths of despair and, and the lack of hope that's so prevalent in, in society, you know, just like, oh my gosh, the world's going to heck in a handbasket. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. And oh, oh, it's all terrible. We're called to breathe hope 
into that, Amen. to be a light in the darkness and, and really shine as Christians that say, there's more, there's more than this life. Yeah. Maybe it is going to go to heck in a handbasket. Maybe, maybe we're the, the society, the, the time that gets to see the great tribulations. Maybe we're going to experience the antichrist. Who knows? Maybe it'll get so bad that we can't even imagine any good ever being again. But we stand as witnesses to the idea that no matter how bad it gets in this life, this life isn't the end of the story. And, you know, just like, uh, yeah, just like um, in the letter to Titus, Paul says, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's our perspective. That's our, yes. that's what we, you know, put our goggles on. Our goggles should be eternal life goggles and mm. that everything should be viewed through that yeah. lens mm-hmm. of eternal life. Exactly. And when we have that perspective, beautiful. That's when we start thinking and acting with the mind and heart of God instead of of our fallen humanity which sees such a small part a speck. of the picture, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's awesome. That's all that's on my heart about yeah. this right now. And I so hope. Go and have hope. <laughs> have yeah. hope. Right. So I hope that it's blessed everyone. I hope that y'all will tune in next time as we wrap up this three-part series and on your theological virtues. will turn to joy if you let it. Amen. <laughs> Well, I'm already joyful, honestly, but I, I'll always take some more joy. Mm-hmm. But it's been a joy to be with you, Pam. Yeah, always you too, Megan. Thank you. All right. So we'll look forward to uh, our next discussion on the greatest of the three, which is love, the final of the three theological virtues. So until next time, we hope you will remain united with us in prayer. God bless. God bless.